Hello and welcome to Barbatos Catholic Podcast, the show where three Mexican dads talk about faith, life, and culture. We are your hosts, Gustavo, Ivan, and Walter. And today we are going to chat with Ryan Ayala and tell you why marriage is not for punks. But first, a word from our sponsor. Tacos, tacos, tacos. Now that I have your attention, did you know that hashtag Taco Tuesdays doesn't just have to be on Tuesdays? You can make it hashtag taco every day with Don Taco Mobile Taco Stand. If you're looking for the best tacos in the valley, look no further. Let Don Taco cater your next event, whether it's a birthday party, baby shower, quinceañera, or a wedding. They will bring you the most delicious tacos with the freshest of ingredients. Do you like tacos de birria? They got them. Tacos de asada? Treat yourself. Tripas, cabeza? Guys, they got them. Book them today. Go to dontacocatering.com for more information. You can also follow them on Instagram at DonTacoMTS. And now, to the show. And we're back. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Today, we have our first ever um, guest. First ever, ever. Cheers to that. Cheers. Mm. Here, here. Thank you for coming cling, over, Ryan. Cling. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, as we all sip at the same time and create a silence. Radio silence. Not um, good. So <laughs> I've heard. Ryan, first question. What does it feel to be at the Bishop's Hour with Blessed Is She and then coming this to the thing. lower tier of the Catholic podcast in, in this, Phoenix? In this uh, um, in very a. sophisticated studio in the garage. garage. Yeah, <laughs> it's abs- yeah, I feel great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I feel oh. absolutely wonderful. Awesome. Perfect. Good. Perfect. Good. Well, now that we got uh, that out of the way, <laughs> you hear we're, that? we're number three, I we're guess, number right? Three. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. He hangs out with uh, the elite of the Diocese of Phoenix, but he's just... Se está dando baños de pueblo con nosotros. You totally know what that means, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are you first generation? I'm not, no. Okay. That's good. But you... Pero si hablas español. Yo entiendo todo, but mm-hmm. I can't speak very well. Okay. Yeah. You know why? Because my parents are from Nicaragua. And so when they came from uh, Nicaragua to the United States, they wanted to learn English. So growing up, they only spoke English to us because they wanted to learn it. So mm. we didn't actually end up growing speaking Spanish. Mm. Interesting. But I'm guessing you still have like the culture and and all that. Yeah. From we're loud. You know, we're loud. We put our dishes in our oven for storage space. Like, <laughs> yeah. We, 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 of we, course. Yeah, as one should. As one should. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Dude, one time, one time I did a, uh, an event for, for your dad. What's that bottle of liquor that you, that you made me try? Flor de Caña. Oh, mm. that's a really good yeah, rum. That's, yeah. Nicaraguan rum. That's like the, the Nicaraguan staple there. So. Wow. 18-year-old Flor de Caña. It's that's pretty good. Bomb. 18. Wow. Yeah, 18 is good. That's it's like sipping rum, right? Yeah, exactly. You don't want to mix that. No, no, no. Why not? Because it's it's it. Think of it as like kind of like a bourbon. Yeah, mm, like añejo, pues. Exactly. Mm. Yes. Ah, okay, okay, okay. So it has like hints of like vanilla and all of these things that are like super complex for a rum. So. Como si le echaras soda al Don Julio. It's like heresy. Yeah, yeah, you don't it's do like putting do cheese on a taco, which I know. Oh, there you go. Now you're cheese. speaking my language. Yeah, okay, I get do it. That. You yeah. do I get that. it. Okay. Do not mix flor de caña. Got it. There yeah. you go. See, we, we, we are just purveyors of so knowledge. valid information and knowledge here. 
So do you want to talk about the cocktail that we're drinking right now? Oh, for sure. Go ahead. It's uh, so tasty. Walter made like Manhattan's. Is is this boozy? Like because the, the 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 couple ones that I made, like the Sasserac, you you guys thought that it was like that was loaded. Like a kick in the mouth. That, that one loaded. was loaded. This one's this very one's smooth. this one's really. I good. think I got the dilution. Mm -hmm. to not a, not to that there's point. anything wrong with that, but this one's really smooth. Well, mm -hmm. excellent. For those who are listening, we have a budget for uh, alcohol and the podcast so. that we just discovered a week ago. <laughs> yeah, like it's like what we haven't spent those advertising dollars. What are we doing? Drinking water. <laughs> Thanks, Video Gap. People want to advertise with us, and uh, we are putting that money to good use. Uh, according to us, and maybe not according to the sponsors. <laughs> they already handed over the money, so. <laughs> uh, but anyway, Ryan. Uh, so we we know you, and um, but for those that don't know Ryan Ayala, can you give us like a short uh, bio? Uh, what's what are you doing right now? Like, how do you get to Phoenix? All those uh, fun tidbits. Yeah. So uh, my story, be, you know, begins when I was uh, a junior in high school, actually, and. Um, My family's from Nicaragua, but they migrated to New Orleans, Louisiana, and um, we grew up in New Orleans. Um, so my junior year, 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit, um, but I was already here in Arizona at, this, at the time. But I remember staying home that day and watching Katrina hit and devastate New Orleans, and, uh, and I remember seeing it on TV. And it had a huge impact on me to see the, see the city that I once loved. You know, if you meet anyone from New Orleans and Louisiana, we love our city. We love our we love our state. You know, we're proudly from New Orleans. So I remember seeing my city kind of grow, go underneath um, just kind of in turmoil with the hurricane. Um, later on that week, my parents decided that they wanted to get a divorce. And then later on that week, my brother went to jail. And so I was really brought to the lowest part of my life, my junior year in high school. Um, And I, I cried out for God, and I and I said, uh, God, why why are you allowing this to happen? And I do remember a very subtle voice, um, him telling me, uh, very 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 subtly that you know whatever I put you through, I would get you through. Something very simple. But I remember just kind of holding on to that. And then after that, I started to ask deeper questions about my faith. Two particular questions that I asked was, who started the Catholic Church, and where did the Bible come from? And once I discovered that it was Jesus Christ who founded the Catholic Church, I went nuts. I absolutely went nuts for Jesus. Um, and I wanted to ensure that I dedicate my whole life to ensuring that people come to know the love of Jesus and his bride, Mother Church. Mm -hmm. And so that was really kind of what started it for me. And, of course, the Bible. When I found and discovered that it was the Catholic Church who compiled the Bible together, again, I went nuts. And I was like, "How? If this is the truth. This is what I want to do. So I, at that point, my senior year, freshman year in college, I dedicated my entire life uh, to wanting to serve in the church, specifically to bring people closer uh, to the Lord. And so um, long story short, that led me to where I'm currently at right now, which is the director of marriage and family life at St. Bernard of Clairvaux. So I oversee all the ministries, but I specifically work with uh, engaged couples who are preparing for marriage and also um, Uh, those who are seeking, uh, who, want, who are wanting to become Catholic uh, through the RCAA process. So, nice. Yeah, it's nice. kind of a long story. Oh, uh, praise God, man. That's yeah. a wonderful story. It's beautiful. Absolutely, yeah. Praise yeah. God, really, for his, yeah. his power. So are you guys uh, cradle Catholic then? We are cradle Catholic, nice. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep, I grew up 
speaking of a Hispanic household that grew up with the Sacred Heart image mm. of Jesus, where he kind of mm-hmm. stares at you everywhere you yeah. go. <laughs> the like hologram version. Yeah, the holograms. Nice. Carniceria Ramos. <laughs> yeah. You know? That's the one you get at the, at the butcher shop, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like my grandma would call it El Cromo, because it was like... Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, that's really funny, dude. Like the 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 plates inside of the oven. Yeah. That is like classic. Yeah, it's totally classic. You had like the the uh, the Mexican topperwort. You know what that is? Is that where you just take like leftover s- sour cream? Hey, yeah, there you, go. there you go. Well, and in in, in, in Monterrey is like uh, country crock. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but it's like you're you're playing like. Uh, you're Russian trying to look roulette. for the butter and you can't find the butter. There's no butter. You just spilled you pozole all over the place. <laughs> oh, butter. Dang it, jalapenos. Butter, so, pozole. Dang it. Yeah. Well, I might eat this with the jalapenos. <laughs> so, in Nicaragua, we eat, we, uh, eat what we call gallo pinto, which is a mixture of rice and black beans, and you, you mix it up. Um, and I don't know if you guys grew up this way, but in my family, uh, my mother, instead of using a lid, she would use a grocery bag. Is that? Did you guys ever no, see that before? I've never mm, seen that. Because no. apparently, Nicaragua culture creates more of a just more moisture in the rice, and so definitely, yeah. So in that rice, yeah, we're so, gonna have to try that one. But I've seen it in the tamales on top of the yeah. porera, like to trap the oh. the steam. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sweet. So I do the the when I roast my uh, chilies, mm-hmm. that's where I put them. You know, so I roast them over fire, and then as soon as they come out of the fire, you throw them in a plastic bag. Mm. And then it's just like almost melts the bag, but that's that makes the skin fall off really, really easily. But any plastic that melts, any plastic that the chili it just comes off. <laughs> yeah. So or the skin of the chili water. comes off with the plastic. One <laughs> <laughs> thing that happens a lot is that we talk a lot about food. Oh, yeah. we, oh, it's it's not on true. purpose. You just There's end up just, talking about it's just food. tangents. That's true. You know, yeah. It's just tangents. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. This is you it's know. It's, it's, it's I feel like the Latino culture is like food is a love. It's a sixth love language. Mm-hmm. It is. You know, like, it really is. And I remember when I was uh, teaching at the schools and I was doing youth ministry, I would straight up ask the kids, like, hey, if y'all have any leftover tamales, like, bring it over. And people, like, I remember people would kind of hear that, and be like, oh, that's so rude, Ryan. But the reality is for Hispanics, we find that endearing. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. an endearing mm-hmm. thing. It's like, oh, you. they want to try my, my home cooking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had students and people always bring me food because, yeah. Dude, I mean, even in parishes, Especially parishes that have a lot of Hispanics, mm-hmm. you know. Whenever you're gonna, oh, we're we're collecting money for this, and Hispanics are like, "Dang, I don't got a lot of money." Or, but when you say, "Oh, we need food for this," I got you. I got you. That's <laughs> yeah. how that's how we participate. Put me down food. for three dozen tamales. Yeah, <laughs> right. I think you don't have any money. It's like y'all work it out. You know, when Ivan and I were roommates, Ivan would text me uh, like right <laughs> around like five, five thirty, and I was like, "Have you had dinner yet?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> It's like I'm at my parents' house. Uh, I'll be right there. <laughs> it's just going. Awesome. like, hey, I love that. What, what's for dinner? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So it's, true story. Yeah. So you said that you did youth ministry and, and you were teaching at um, at high school in, in St. Mary's, right? Yeah. Um, one of the first questions that I had for you is: uh, I know from a, a good source that you kind of told students, "Everyone will let you down, and you will die." <laughs> Is that how you would wrap up your class? Every single class. Every single class. Every single class. I would say, guys, before you leave, remember two things. Everyone will disappoint you and you will die someday. And my students hated it. They were like, come on, Mr. Yala, be more positive. Um, But yeah, I would wrap up every single class. I'm positive that everybody will disappoint (laughs) you. (laughs) 
And I'm super positive that you will die for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why did you decide that? Where did that come from? Well, I would say the first part, um, which was um, everyone will disappoint you. I remember reading the story of St. Philip Neri where he would wake up every single morning. St. Philip Neri is a laughing saint, the patron of the laughing saint, the joking saint is what they call him. He would wake up every single morning and he would look in the mirror. And part of his morning prayer would be, um, Lord, don't trust Philip today. That's, mm. that, that was his morning prayer. Lord, don't <laughs> wow. trust me today. And um, he said that because he knew that in order to advance in the spiritual life, one needs to have a complete distrust in self and a complete trust in the Lord. Mm. And so he did that to remind himself that you need to trust in the Lord. And so I said that to people, and I said that to my students because I want them to understand that um, if you put your trust in princes or in man, they will fall. They will fail you, um, every, everyone. And it's not because they're eagerly waiting to disappoint you, but but because of the effects of original sin, right? Mm-hmm. We are human. We are going to fail. And so immediately I wanted to drill in them to put your trust in God right away. Nice. Nice. Total and dependence on God, right? Total dependence on God. Mm-hmm. And you will die. Memento Very mori. uplifting. <laughs> yeah. So actually, even to add more to the um, morbid aspect of my teaching style, I would actually have a skull <laughs> place on the center of my desk. And That's I would, baller. Yeah. I would, I would face it towards them so that they always remember their death. <laughs> you know, I know people kind of saw it as a joke. I didn't because the reality was the goal of Catholic education is to prepare for man's last end, which is death, which is ultimate union with God. And so I did that to remind them that, listen, if you don't know where you're going, then your life has no meaning or purpose. So know that uh, when you die, two things happen. You will either come face to face with God and be welcomed into the heavenly banquet, or you will be punished for all of eternity. <laughs> so I wanted them to remind that, like, this is what it's all about. Yeah. A true Catholic education is preparing students for death, a happy death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's- because right now, like, people are like, well, you know, be kind, you mm-hmm. know, and when you die, well, we don't know. Mm. We don't know what's gonna, what's after that. Yeah, there's this like this forgetfulness about the last things, you know, mm. um, which is kind of sad. So that's like that's a good. We did a, an episode of Memento Mori. I don't know. If, are you familiar with the work of uh, Sister Teresa Alethea? Yeah, I am. Yeah, she wrote that book, right? Did she, did she, was she write a book about? Yeah, the journal, the death. Journal. She has a like, journal, and I think like um, a companion for like Lent and Advent and yeah, things like that. I haven't read it, but I, heard I it's mean, pretty good. Same, but it <laughs> looks pretty pretty well designed. You know, like the the media notes, they're they're pretty cool. Um, so COVID hit in 2020, and then um, something happened at St. Mary's, and which prompted the opportunity for you to go to St. Bernard. Mm-hmm. Which a lot of people say St. Bernard, I. I Always would say uh, Saint Bernard or Bernard. <laughs> I would say Bernard, but I've heard it I, both ways. Like, yeah, I think the French say Bernard. Bernard. I think so. But um, can you tell us a little bit more about your experience with working with um, working with couples that are preparing, or like your own? Like, you you talked a little bit about your your conversion and coming to to the Lord, but like the moment that you were like marriage is my vocation and I'm going to do my best to be the best father and husband dad. Uh, because I mean, from what I can tell, um, you take that pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'll tell you a story that happened recent, recently, a few a few months ago. I was talking to some priest friends, and um, they were talking about how how you know they, they married couples need to need to step up, need to take their vocations more seriously. And for some reason, I just kind of felt so kind of frustrated at them. And these are my friends, so I told them like straight up, like fine. If I'm going to take my marriage seriously, I need you to take your priesthood seriously. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually got so emotional talking to them because um, I wake up every single day, and not to sound so sinister about marriage, but I wake up every single day as if my marriage is on the line. In other words, there is a reality of that when I wake up, like I have to fight for my marriage, right? I have to I have to actively put myself in a position to think like, okay, I know the evil one is doing everything that he can to attack my marriage. And he does that in my, in, 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 because, because he knows my weakness, he does it in a way that he knows how to affect me. So he will expose my fatherly wounds, right? He will kind of keep pointing and picking at my fatherly wounds. He'll, 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 he'll keep, uh, you know, sowing seeds of discouragement, right? Or, or trying to weaken my will in, in other ways. And so, um, so yeah, that's for me, I, I, I really do take my marriage seriously. I take my vocation seriously. And so, um, yes, yeah, so I really want to impart that with like the young couples that I meet that, you know, in the Catholic church, it's YOMO. You only get married once. Mm-hmm. There's no, you know, you don't get to, you don't get to do, there's no do. It sounds better than YOLO. There's no do over. Like there's, this mm-hmm. is it. When you say yes before the Lord and you consent to each other, that's it. It's for life. And I think there's a lot of misconception, you know, especially in the, sadly, in the Hispanic culture, mm. because we put a lot of emphasis into the party, mm-hmm. right? And the church part of it, which is literally the covenant that you're signing there, is between you and your spouse. And I think that's what gets overlooked the most, because even even the 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 couple, you know, are preoccupied with the honeymoon, the house, the the party, the our cake, guests, the Instagram the cake, photo, the Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> now the social aspect of it, right? right. Um, and and I think the preparation aspect of it does falter a little bit. Then then we see the results, right? I mean, exponential numbers of divorces happening um, because they were like. We didn't know. Like, well, we should have, you know. Yeah. And it's not to your fault, you know, as a couple. I think it's it's both culturally, but the preparation that you receive is crucial. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And the angle I like to approach with regard to that is really kind of strengthening their consent, kind of helping them understand that when what actually makes a marriage valid in the eyes of the church is obviously doing it um with an ordained minister, a priest or deacon, but also your yes, right? When you say yes to each other, the church sees that as as binding. And so helping them understand that like your yes means something very, very, very significant. Um, so I, I try to help couples understand to prepare for that yes. Because mm-hmm. there's no do there's no there's no going back. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I like that you got emotional when you were like discussing this with your with your priest friend because um I think especially for men Right now, there's like we we talk about like a crisis in the priesthood, uh, but the uh, I would say that there's also a crisis in the, the vocations to marriage, especially with men. We have very old adolescent 
men who are still, you know, addicted to pornography and playing video games, like we mentioned before we started rolling, that are not stepping up. Then, like, really, right now, if you want to be countercultural, get married, get married young, have children, get married young, get married young. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I got married when I was 30, and ya se me iba el tren. So we gotta hurry this thing up. Um, but you know what? How? Uh, what are like the average ages of like men that you see that are going through uh, your parish? Are, are they young? Is there hope? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there are young. I would say you know twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty nine. You know, I think there's a thousand things that are that are threatening marriage these days. I hate to be so so sinister and dark about it, but. I'm just being real. And there's a lot of things I think are threatening marriage, but I would actually think I would say one thing that I'm seeing constantly is, is really just like people are just like men are just busy. People are just busy. They, 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 they pride themselves in being busy. They're just mm -hmm. super busy. And so obviously when you're busy, you just kind of overcrowd your yourself from any sort of self-reflection, any room for Christ, any room for wisdom from the church. And so um, I see, I see they're just super busy. They're just busy with their careers. They're busy with games. They're busy with watching sports. They're busy with, you know, all this other stuff. Well, it's all, all very self-indulgent too, right? Yeah, a thousand percent. I think, thinking back to when I was in college, I was like, I always thought that I was like, no, I'm going to get like a good job. I'm going to get like my career and, and travel and do this and that. <laughs> and I'm not going to get married until after 30, dude, you know, because that's sometimes the conception that we have that is like, okay, it's something that I got to do eventually. So I got to get through all this stuff before I do that. Dude, that's like, you know, even in, yeah. in, in Mexico, I mean, it's like you have to finish your college education. Yeah. You need to get a good job. Uh -huh. So you're a good provider. Uh -huh. And until you have like a good salary that you can yeah. sustain a family, then start yeah, thinking so, about so, it. So you start thinking in a very practical, which is not wrong to have preparedness. Right. But then I think, and I met my now wife at 23 and is like, can we get married? Yeah, please. Will you marry me? You know, and we got married young, you know. Um, and, but now I see that it's that self-indulgence that people don't want to share stuff. Mm. Clearly, right, and they they want to share everything online, but but we don't want to share ourselves, our life, you know, our time, our life, our our most prized possession, which is our mind and our heart and our love. I don't know why we're so afraid of giving that up, you know, rejection. I don't know fear. I I think it's mostly the the fear of losing your liberty. To be honest, mm. you know, a lot of people say, "No, I don't want to get tied down." It's like, no, the dude, you're actually. More free. More free, mm -hmm. you know? Well, even, well, what do you guys think about, I don't know if you guys ever talked about this in the podcast already, but what about like the the machismo sort of attitude that, you know, we see in Hispanic cultures that... Oh, yeah, that plays a, a, a role 100%. I mean, I don't know your experience. Yeah, I mean, you know, I grew up in a household where it wasn't a machis, machista thing, but it was, you know, in all of my, like my dad's family, even my mom's family, it's they grew up where... You know, the wife, you know, made, does everything, does everything, you know, cook dinner. And then my dad would come home and sit down and my mom would serve her, him and all her kids. Mm -hmm. But it was never one of those things where my dad's like, woman, where's my food? Mm. It wasn't like that. It was my mom because she has the heart of a servant. Like she, she loved to serve her family and her husband, but it wasn't a machista thing. But I think now in, 
now more than ever, like we're seeing that where, you know, you know, we, we all try to be more independent mm-hmm. and that's it, you know, and it's, I like my independence. I, you know, kind of like the machista thing is, it's kind of going away. Um, I mean, but, there's also like guys that is just like players, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, oh, it's like 100%. That's, that's what they, their definition of man is like how many conquests. Yeah. So know? me growing up, because I saw that, you know, when I wanted to get married, I, you know, not that I demand my wife cook me dinner and, and serve me and the girls. Like, no, I've, I've always told my wife, like, you don't have to do that for me. But she does it because she, she, she wants to serve me. And I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a beautiful thing to it's see. It's a difference between demanding and being a recipient oh, yeah. of, mm-hmm. of all of those things. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's an expression of love at the end of the day. Absolutely. Right? Um, and, and women are natu- the natural nurturers. And, and I think that's also something else that's gone blurred. You know, the lines have gone blurred yeah. a little bit. Yeah, 100%. I think in my own family, I kind of dealt with the opposite in where um, because my parents grew up in 1979 in, in, in Nicaragua, where they saw they had really deep um, distrust or trust issues. And so my mom and my dad have always had this sort of distrust towards the world, but also there's kind of a distrust towards themselves. But I remember my, I, I, I remember um, for our wedding, I, we did the washing of the feet thing and um uh afterwards i my my parents told me that a few of my other family members did not like that they were they found like severely offensive like that a offensive man, yeah that a man would ever like bow down to a woman and to wash, wash wow. her feet yeah oh my god Dang. so and even yeah and so i i so that was you know that's a kind of that they, they don't see like the man as like as servants to his family and to his wife, mm-hmm. protector, but also servant to his family. They see them as like the, the yeah, yeah. They have to be the alpha. You have to be the alpha. Yeah, yeah. I remember one time. Um, so I, my mom taught me when I was in seventh grade to iron. So I picked up ironing when I was in seventh grade. So I iron all my clothes and all this stuff. I remember one time my wife and I were getting ready for a wedding. My wife, her, she had her dress. Her dress was wrinkled, and um, I decided to iron it. And my mom walked in while I was ironing her dress and my mom closed the door and she says, you never iron a woman's dress. Like that's just what we do. We don't do that. Like in my, in our culture, we don't do that. And I just thought, wow, now I'm not judging her because she grew up in a very specific time, Mm -hmm. but I do remember like, whoa, this is the kind of stuff that I have to kind of fight against, you know, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't my mom, but it's the cultural thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. I think in, uh, in my hometown, when, um, you know, we've only visited like in 2018 when we had the kids and I would look, I'm a very, I'm very involved with the kids and child rearing and all these things. So there's a term in Spanish, mandilon, oh, which yeah. is basically you're whipped, mm. you know, you're whipped. You're you're the one that wears the apron. That's what a basically, mandil is. Yeah, that's yeah. what a mandil is. Um, but I think that there is this misconception that, um, you know, as a father, you provide a paycheck. And that's your whole contribution to the family where mm-hmm. you know, I came from a family where my dad would cook, my dad would clean, wash dishes. Wow. It's a very different yeah. kind of Mexican dad that you are used to. Yeah, and he God. worked like two jobs, you know, yeah, and he had God. time for all those things. So I think that the common denominator that the three of us have had is that we have fathers that have shown us that there is like 
all these other dimensions to to manhood to fatherhood yeah um and that's what we're trying to like instill in whoever that is listening that it's like no like part of the joy or finding the joy in being a husband and a father is you know imitating christ we mm -hmm. need to be that figure for our families to empty ourselves for our families because we are supposed to imitate him he emptied himself for his bride the church yeah mm -hmm. so i don't know it, it, it depends on like your personal experience everybody has a different uh, father wounds like you mentioned mm -hmm. um but i don't know i guess like what would you what would be like that the the top advice you would give someone who is listening that is like on the fence about asking the girl out and uh, for a date or like thinking about marriage. Yeah. Just do it. You know, <laughs> you never, you know, no, seriously. Cause I, I think all of us, if we're being honest, like there's sometimes when we look back and we're like, damn, like, why did, why did my wife give me a chance? Like, like if there's, like, we're, man, I, I'm probably more critical of myself. I'm like, wow, I'm, I am, I am like miserable. Like I am, I'm an awful person. <laughs> like, yeah. like, why did you give me a chance wife? Uh, And, um, because she, I guess she saw something that I didn't. So I, I, I would, I would encourage any young man who's considering asking a girl out or, um, thinking about proposing, like, do it, do it, um, <clears throat> muster enough courage to do it. Mm -hmm. would, Have the, um, you know, let's play the piano, play the piano backwards. <laughs> <laughs> And speaking of having cojones, um, this is a really good transition, by the way. Um, You see how confident I get after one Manhattan? This was, this was a really good transition. <laughs> Need to go to confession. He, 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 Walter's a king of the segues. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love a king of the um, transitions. Another, another reason why we we wanted to have you on the podcast is because um, every other episode, I think that we quote Saint Jose Maria Escriva, mm -hmm. and um, actually, I have a really cool story that I think you'll appreciate. Um, when Diana and I were dating. Um, my spiritual director at the time gave me a, uh, the prayer for the family of St. Jose Maria Escriba. Yeah, yeah. And that's what we would pray together when we were discerning before we got engaged. Wonderful. Or maybe after we got engaged, when we were preparing to, to get into the sacrament. Wonderful. Um, and then um, I took her to Monterrey in 2013. To, um, we, we were visiting family. Someone else was getting married. We went to the, the cathedral in Monterrey. And they had a relic of Saint Jose Maria no in one of the side altars. I was Whoa. like, "This is one of those winks that God throws at you." Mm -hmm. But um, it's and, amazing. Yeah, and and um, and I think with Estovir um, Camino, it's, it's been like when Ivan first introduced me to Camino, I was like, "He does not mince words." Mm -hmm. <laughs> When you start reading it in it's Spanish, it's like, oh, yeah, it's Spanish. And in Spanish, it's so much more effective, I think. It's like he's lapping you through the pages. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. But, <laughs> like, um, how did you find out about San Jose Maria? Like, uh, are, are you uh, part of the Opus Dei or you're just, like, big fan? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not part of Opus Dei. Um, but same, actually, I found out through uh, my spiritual director when I was discerning um, seminary but basically my spiritual director told me to pick up the way and to kind of just read through it slowly and if there was a quote uh that stood out to me um to write it down on a sticky note fold it up put it in my pocket and throughout the day just kind of pull it out 
and sort of remind myself of, of the inspiration mm-hmm. that I had. And so that I would pick up his practice. And one of the things I kind of realized with Jose Maria Escriva is, um, yeah, he's not afraid to punch you in the mouth. And uh, <laughs> I respect that. I remember hearing, you know, who, who was it? Who was the boxer? Maybe it was Mike Tyson who says like, I think it was Mike Tyson who said like, I respect blood in my mouth. Like mm-hmm. it was just like, I respect. And so with Escriva, he was different in, in, in compared to other saints because he was not afraid to punch you in the mouth. And, 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 and um, I, I respected that. It met me where I was at that time, mm-hmm. which was, you know, I needed that kind of tough love, check, right? Tough love, mm-hmm. you know, Theo love, you know? So exactly. that's kind of where I picked up my love for St. Jose Maria Escriva. Yeah. Nice. Um, and then also just, it just really being inspired by his contribution to the church. Um, people don't know, but St. Jose Maria Escriva was the one who crystallized and made official the church's teaching on this universal call to holiness. Um, now, we've always believed that since the antiquity of the church, since a primitive church, but it was St. Jose Maria Escriva at the council, Second Vatican Council, um, where he actually made it official and part of church teaching that everyone is called to holiness. So, and I loved his sort of practical advice that he gives. It's very practical, you know, uh, don't hit the snooze button, you know, wake up on the dot, mm-hmm. yeah. servium, I will serve, you know, the devil says I will not serve, you know, non-servium. So. He just gives a very practical way of living out the faith, which I think is just so attainable for anyone. Um, so yeah, I really, really, I really love him. <laughs> yeah, it's like brass tacks. For, yeah, exactly for your day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the heroic men and men I struggle with that. Like, not gonna lie, it's, <laughs> I I forget most days. Like. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe five more minutes. Well, <laughs> it was easier when I didn't have kids. Like when I had mm-hmm. kids, like you're just like scratching for sleep. Like you're just like clawing for mm-hmm. extra extra bedtime. You know. <laughs> How many kids do you have? I have three. How long have you been married? I've been married for seven years. Nice. Yeah. Oh, 2014 as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What month? May. Oh, okay. 19. October. Nice. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. I think we hit th- same. <laughs> Wait, I think our kids are kind of around the same age range. Yeah, how, right? how old are yours? I have five, uh, three, two, and seven months. Oh, yeah. Yeah, five, two, and like nine months. Yeah, right. Oh, there, there you go. go. There you go. So, so let us know when you're pregnant because <laughs> you really <laughs> tighten the screws on NFP. Um, <laughs> we have an episode on NFP. By the way, check it out. It's pretty good. Uh, this is the reason why we are having the podcast right now because now that you can cut that part out this is our form of nfp this is the form of NFP. Have a podcast. we are doing productive things with our time um that's funny <laughs> i cracked myself up sorry ryan um so in in the in the hobbies episode we made a reference about how uh, ivan's hobby is um uh, being a cigar aficionado and I, I've seen several of your stories on Instagram that you're like introducing people to like the joys of, of tobacco. Yes. That you have like, we need to make it like a thing, like the liturgy of the cigar. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Going back to my sort of over obsession of death, um, you know, in the church, there's a discipline, there's a science called eschatology and eschatology deals with the end times. So, right. And so um, the liturgy is an eschatological event. When we go to mass, we are we are moving towards the end times. We are we are a pilgrim church towards the end times. So here's what I was thinking: What if we call this like the like 
the cat like catechesis through like a cigar or eschatology with a cigar or like something eschatological with a cigar because what i love about smoking a cigar is that it i think it naturally just reminds you of your last end or like your final end which is god so it's an eschatological action so it's a mm. it's a it's an eschatological action it has an ending to it it has an ending mm. to it yeah yeah so yeah, I uh, picked up smoking a cigar uh, 2000 and, um, 2013. I'm actually kind of new to the cigar world, relatively speaking. Same. Um, and it was a book. I don't know if you've read it. It's called um, the ba- uh, Leisure, the Basis of Culture. It was written by a philosopher and theologian by the name of Joseph Pieper. And um, in this book, he talks about really exploring the philosophical understanding of leisure. And really, that's the basis of culture. So once I read that book, I wanted to do more leisurely things and not do things that just sort of kept me busy. So I picked up smoking a cigar because I realized when I was smoking cigar that it forces you to slow down. Like literally you mm. can't rush a cigar unless mm-hmm. you blow your lungs out. Mm-hmm. Like you're thrown green in the face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like vape pens, cigarettes, marijuana, like you can kind of you can kind of rush those things. But with a cigar or a pipe, you really can't rush, right? And you also don't want to. You don't want to. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I realized that a cigar led me to being present to the moment. Um, mm. And so that's why I really love, I really love, I really love smoking cigar because it allows me to stop and be present to whatever is in front of me, whether that's a friend, whether that's a book, whether that's whiskey, it just allows me to be present at that moment, which is leisure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that the concept of leisure is not something that like people associate leisure with like you know downtime netflix video games that can can you elaborate a little bit more on like what actually leisure means yeah so in in that book leisure uh, the basis of culture joseph pieper was writing to a 1930s 1940s um uh, philosophical assumption uh that was really promoted by Karl marx and marxism which says essentially that man finds his dignity in work. And so Joseph Pieper did not like that. He's like, well, what about the elderly? What about the unborn? What about the babies, right? If you only find your dignity in work, then you have a whole group of people who must not be dignified, right? And so Joseph Pieper was writing to combat that notion of, of, of Marxism, which is actually no, man finds his dignity in, in, in being and in who he was created to be which is a child or daughter of God. Mm. And so, um, so really that, that kind of, uh, you know, that understanding of leisure, that leisure is meant to kind of allow us to recreate ourselves. That's why we call recreation, right? In recreation, we recreate ourselves or we recreate uh, who we were created to be. And so, um, yeah, that's why I think leisure is really important because it just, again, allows us to be present to the moment. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, like that evil of uh, having the dignity of a person attached to how much they can produce, you know, the the whole wave of communism that came out mm-hmm. and finally, I mean, it's still alive and kicking in some countries right now, but, you know. Yeah. Well, I see it. Well, I don't know about you because you homeschool your kids, right? Yes, we do. Well, I see it. I see it a lot in schooling, right? This sort of let's rush our kids through, let's kind of push our kids through the curriculum. Let's, you know, ensure that they're getting eight hours of, of you busy know, instru- work, essentially. Busy instruction a day, you know, mm-hmm. versus, you know, something that my wife and I, we really kind of have um, 
kind of took ownership with is is ensuring that our child um, is educated well through this sort of means or lens of leisure that um, and, and part of that is to kind of preserve his sense of wisdom or wonder, right? Mm-hmm. Is to preserve that. It's a safeguard his wonder. And a leisurely understanding of education, I think, does that, right? It says slow down. It says be present to the moment. It says the child is curious to know about things. Let's honor that and respect that, mm-hmm. right? And so um, that's very like educating from rest. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think we, we, our wives are reading the same books, probably. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, that's and I, and I think it's it's so bizarre that when I see like I mean I work from home so like my office is right there so I just go in and um, see my my kids doing like schoolwork and sometimes it takes like 30 40 minutes sometimes yeah. Oliver is inspired and wants to do worksheets the whole morning you know and yeah. and he like really gets into it like he got really into like Native Americans one week and we went to the Herd Museum. <laughs> That's you know? it. I love that. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole family is involved in the education of the child and so inquisitive. Exactly. And, and, and that also like helps us as parents to be like involved. growing in that patience of like, but what about this? What about this? All the questions. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and again, it's such a radical thing to, you know, again, going back to kind of Hispanic culture, um, because my family migrated to another country, there is a sort of stigma that, you know, I, I migrated here to give you and your brother a better opportunity to be successful, to earn education and all that. And of course, all that, all, I guess all that's fine. Um, but even then there is a sort of pressure, even amongst Hispanic culture to like that sort of understanding of education is, it's kind of weird. For it people. is weird. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> like yeah. you're not assessing him. You're not you know, you're not measuring his uh, his reading skills when he's at five years old. You know, there's this sort of pressure to make sure that he can read at a certain. That he's not time. behind. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's right. Yet everybody in school is behind. Right. Well, that's the thing. Like <laughs> when Deanna and I met, mm-hmm. I was like, "How many?" We were discussing how many kids we could have or we wanted to have, because all, all the children that God would send us. But um, I was like, I think a good number would be three children. And Deanna was like, why? And I said, because that's how many kids I think I can send to college. Mm. That has changed <laughs> in the seven years. What like, changed? Because need- well, that's, a, that's a big shift in your mind. Like, what, what changed? Well, it, you know, like, I grew up uh, being in, uh, told by my parents, like, you need to go to the best college in town, which is one of the private colleges that is uh, – ranked number one in latin america whatever I, I i had a scholarship that's the only reason i was able to to attend but um and that has given me a lot of opportunities that i have right now like living here for the last 10 years one of them meeting my wife all these wonderful things it, which is not to say that it's it, it's a bad thing but the state of universities in the united states right now i don't want to spend that much money or my children to be indoctrinated in something that I am spending so much time right now to form them. Exactly. For all of that to be uh, washed away in the first year. In four <laughs> years, you know? Oh, in the first year, dude. Yeah. I because, mean, because it's so aggressive right now how they're just brainwashing kids. And they start, they're starting early now. Before you got to high school or, or college, and you're like, okay, I get it. 
you know, you're forming yourself as an individual in your identity, but you don't know who you are. So they tell you who you should be. And so much confusion. And there's so much confusion. I so, mean, people uh, blame the Catholic Church of indoctrination, but the public <laughs> education system is that. That's right. Yeah. It's like it's it's okay when it is their kind of indoctrination. Plus, I, I think yeah. that the what we found with homeschooling is that it's it's about teaching the children to love how to learn. Yes, amen. because it's something that they're going to have to do the rest of their lives. Amen. If they see school as something that they have to get through, then then when they're done with school, they're just going to become done. dumb again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. We're all dumb when we when we grow, but that <laughs> sense of wonder that you started to talk about, that's what gets us into knowledge and into expanding that knowledge. Yes. And if people just get through college to get a job that's going to give them nothing but money, then it also goes to that talk of dignity, mm -hmm. right? Because then if you're only dignified by what you make, not what you know, what you can contribute, then or your self-worth or your, or your mission in life, you know, then, then your self-worth just goes completely out the door. And that's why I think there's so much depression now because people mm -hmm. really don't know who they are or what they're capable for. Teaching the kid to love how to learn is a skill that no teacher in no school can give them right now. Absolutely. Not. You know, and it's something that if it's done at home, because sometimes my kids are like, they start school at eight o'clock in the morning and they're done by not at 11, you know, and, and they put in a full day's work and, and then they still have time to have leisure, to have play, which is super important for a kid's development, you That's know, to have a window for crying out loud. Yes. You know, why do they build schools like prisons? You know, it's craziness. Yeah. You know, so all of those things are really affecting child development, I think. You know, because you're seeing depression at earlier and earlier ages now. Yeah. You know, so it's a blessing. Homeschooling is a blessing. Amen. Anybody got any other questions for Ryan? You good? Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being our first thank you for having I, guest. I i got a question sorry what was your expectation of being the first guest in this podcast <laughs> and that we meet it <laughs> i sent him the questions in advance so. i know <laughs> no you guys are awesome there were no expectations that was the first one so good there were no expectations this was awesome thanks for having me that's awesome yeah that's it, what i do every time that i come and record i have no expectations <laughs> you have you, to you know why yeah. I, i didn't have any expectations because yeah. everyone will disappoint you so there you go and you will die we need a t-shirt that says that you will die dude yes everybody will disappoint you and can you we use die. your face for that t-shirt yeah so the front's <laughs> gonna say <laughs> the front's gonna say everybody will disappoint you and then when they see you walking away from you and, and you, you, will, and you die. will die <laughs> All right, so while we're taking Ryan's picture for the t-shirt, we want to thank you for <laughs> listening to this episode of Barbatos Catholic Podcast, the show where three Mexican dads talk about faith, life, and culture. If you like the podcast or got something out of this episode, please share with your friends and family. Subscribe, like, comment, rate, and review if you haven't. If you're feeling extra generous, you can buy us a coffee. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash barbatos and follow the instructions. If you buy us a coffee, you automatically get a shout-out in one of our episodes. And if you don't like the podcast, well, Just keep it to yourself and let others make their own mistakes. Um, you can find uh, show notes for this episode at barbatoscatholicpodcast.com. And on social media, we are on Instagram at barbatoscatholicpodcast. 
God blesses Alan's Casey. Pray, Pray for us. us. Until the next time.